I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. We've got the same dad. But we didn't meet until I was 16. So this is the podcast where... We talk about an album that... Your brother brother should should know! That was pretty okay. good, wasn't well, it? That was, you know, we'll we're get there. We'll get, yeah, we'll get there. Right, hello everybody. This is the podcast where we talk about an album that your brother should know. In this case, the brothers are me, Dave, in Wivenhoe in Essex, and me, Rob, in Hong Kong. And we today are going to talk about Doolittle by the Pixies, which in this case is one that Rob is pitching to me as an album that I should know, should love, should hear, should understand, should be part of my collection and it isn't to my shame well it's clearly a true tragedy that you have not crossed paths with this album at any point in your life today i Um, I, I do wonder what i've been doing with my life (laughs) it's 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 not just me saying this it's the world saying this this is a bona fide classic um i i will go on record and i don't think anyone is gonna uh hold you know credential points against me by saying the pixies are clearly one of the most important exciting thrilling visceral inventive moving idiosyncratic iconoclastic uh rock bands ever uh definitely of the 80s they uh they formed in boston in like, the mid late 80s uh made four wonderful records in the space of about five or six years uh fell apart uh lived their own lives had unsuccessful solo careers and side issues uh and then reformed i believe in the early 10s late aughts and have been going ever since and put out more records that people don't care about but basically they're dining out on this incredibly fertile period where they they made these these four records that are classics the first two are especially uh the wep come on pilgrim and the and the set the first album proper surfer rosa were fantastic they're a lot angrier, a lot edgier. Doolittle was really their big pop breakthrough. It's their first international release, uh, released on 4AD. And it's kind of the one, I think that and Sofa Rosa are the, are the one you, you have to go to. Um, by picking Doolittle, you might think I've taken the obvious choice. It's, it, it's definitely an analogy there, take, picking Nevermind over Bleach. For the record, <laughs> I would always take Bleach over Nevermind. Or and a neutro. But in this case, I think Doolittle completely stands up. It is their masterpiece. Um, I feel like uh, Doolittle is the greatest album of the 90s. Only it came out in 1989. Uh, but it did so much to shape the music of the 90s. We all know, um, you know, Kurt Cobain famously said that he was trying to write a pixie song when he wrote Teen Spirit. And I think that whole quiet, loud, quiet thing, which basically was the Nirvana sound and to extent the grunge sound was pioneered by the pixies. You can't really overstate how important they were on the music that was to rise in the kind of half decade after they laid down their their best work, of which I think Doolittle is it. So yeah, the best album of the 90s, it came out in 1989, therefore I'm going to go on record and say it's the best guitar album released in the 1980s. It's not just an album I want you to know, it's an absolute masterpiece. Okay. Um, so so you- what did you think of it, Dave? I've been waiting all week to hear. <laughs> Should your brother know it? Well, so, obviously it's going to be a long and convoluted answer. I started this, I wish I hadn't known it was a classic. I really tried to clear my head of all thought, you know, because if you, like me, spent most of the 90s reading every Q magazine that was ever released, you know it's up there as a kind of, you know, Pantheon classic album, etc, etc. And of course, how can you listen to something with that much weight of expectation on it? So I uh, first thing I did was just, you know, get it up on Spotify and try and listen to it without any preconception. 
And I'm afraid, as you'll probably expect, my first response was, yeah. Um, I really, really, What's really... What's all the fuss about? Exactly. I mean, I'm... I'm... I don't want to interject, but I'm going to because I feel like <laughs> any album with this much hype, this much, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, it's got yeah, a yeah. monument built around it. And if sure. you haven't encountered it sure. in the 34 years of its existence at this point, of course you're going to go, well, of course I was right all along. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, fair enough. So I, opening track, yeah, fine. Opening track, debasive. Well, just, yeah, that goes on and you go, Oh, yeah, that set out my stool for a classic album. I see that. That's brilliant. And unfortunately, after that, with some exceptions, and what I'll say is I think there's a there's a sort of classic EP trying to get out of this sort of in the swamp uh, of an album. And I, and I do have a theory that that's why people think it's classic, because I think there's six or seven tracks that are absolutely stand the test of time. But can you be a classic album with this much filler in it and of course we can come on to what i mean by filler but but that's that was my overriding impression it was like oh mostly for the first two thirds of it it kind of goes good track uh, track good track uh, track good track uh, track and and it felt a little bit like um i think i've got a best of um placebo somewhere where they do or it's the singles of placebo or something they do a side b side a side b side and boy that doesn't hang together because b sides by their very nature are not the best they're experimental their stuff we just threw out and we, we might as well put it out as a b side um and that's what it felt like to me at first um, okay. Yeah. That is so interesting you said that because there was a reason why Surferosa was my favorite Pixies album for a long time. And okay. that was because I shared a very, very similar conception. And in fact, I remember sitting down with a, a strident Pixies fan. I think he said they were his favorite band. And this was within the last six, seven years ago and arguing just what you're arguing that essentially mm-hmm. Doolittle's track listing, especially what I will call referred to as side A as that's now how I consume it. Sure. You go, it goes banger. Yeah. Yeah, banger, mm. <laughs> banger, because mm. uh, we'll go for it. But uh, yeah, to base it, yes, and tame. Yeah, uh, yeah. wave of mutilation, yay! Yeah, I yeah. bleed, huh? Yeah, here comes your man. Monkey gone to heaven, smash yeah. it. And it uh, but what I've now come to realize is that those little B sides, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, are as strong, if not the stronger. What you're basically saying is you like the major key happy ones, you don't like the noisy ones, which take some time to reveal themselves. I would completely have agreed with you your uh, summation 10 years ago, but actually I've come to love Tame, Bleed, Dead, okay. Crackly, Crackly Jones, Number 13, Baby. I don't think there's a bad song on this album. I'd like to talk about a few of the songs that you like most. My EP of what I thought were standout tracks that I would listen to if I had to listen to the album again and with a with a with a twitchy fast forward finger on Spotify, would be to, it's probably pretty obvious. It'd be Debaser, Wave of Mutilation, Monkey Gone to Heaven, Mr. Greaves slash Crackety Jones, which I see as two sides of the same coin. They're a nice little two together. Hey and Gouge Away. Seven track EP. Fantastic. Pretty good. No, here comes your man. I will come on to that. So let's come on to Here Comes Your Man. So there I was listening to this album thinking, I'm really not getting it. Uh, and I went on, as you do, loads of forums. And actually, I found I wasn't alone. So for every, you know, 80% of the world just goes, ah, pray to the God of Doolittle. And there was always about 20% of people going, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not getting this. Um, and it wasn't just that, you know, there's strong track, weak track, strong track, weak, weak track. For me, it was the, I, I didn't get what the hype was. The overall, like, because to me, it was like, it was an all right album of, slightly more intelligent rock than usual 
and and let's face you know that's fine you know there's there's a lot of all right albums of slightly more intelligent rock than usual i just didn't get why this one was so hyped so then i started to think well am i am i just cuz it's it is 24 years 34 years since it's since it's come out maybe i've just heard too much more music in that time and and this now feels ordinary because there's been so much more music after that that's 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 built on it and been more exciting or whatever but then i thought oh, hang on this is 1989. Why are people holding this up as exemplary, groundbreaking, game-changing in 1989? In 1989, we've had the Velvets, we've had the Stooges, we've had Husker Du, we've had Punk, we've had all kinds, we've had The Clash, The Cure, The Smiths, The Kinks, you know, we've had the Jesus and Mary chain, you know, all of these bands, bigger, smaller, who have taken four chords and the truth, three chords, and done some better and cleverer things with it and none of this did I feel that it was better or cleverer than any of the bands I've just I've just mentioned I just found myself thinking if I want to listen to slightly angry aggressive interesting occasionally poetic rock I'll go to the Velvet Underground you know <laughs> or the Stooges or 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 maybe Husker Du I not why this why this is what I was thinking however I have to tell you about my epiphany Okay, so my epith- epiphany, epiphany, epiphany with this album. Epiphany. Epiphany. So I was there thinking, why is this held <laughs> held up as this groundbreaking, brilliant thing? Don't don't get it. Luckily, just coincided with while I was listening to this for this podcast, a friend of mine called Richard really likes his hair rock. Okay, he he. he and we all know what we mean by hair rock. You know, we're talking Poison Europe on Joni. Cinderella, Monica, you know, so hair rock in the 80s, big hair. John Boney. John Boney, John, Bo- John Bon Jovi. Um, talking big hair, everything's in tune. The subject matter is either about, you know, well, it's, it's massively misogynistic or it's, oh, aren't we great because we rock. You know, that's basically your two hair rock, you know, items for consideration. And they play nicely, but with absolutely, you know, the emotion of a sort of beige muesli settled on a pile of beige porridge. It's just, it doesn't engage you at all. Now, my friend Richard is so into hair rock, he's gone into second tier hair rock bands, right? Like he's not just, he's not just into the big ones. So, and there's a whole, there's a whole list of like Pretty Boy Floyd, Dangerous Toys, Kingdom Come, Spread Eagle. If you're a hair rock fan, you will know what I'm talking about there. I've just Googled those. He is into a hair rock band called Danger Danger. Uh, okay. Okay. And he sent me some. And if I just read this, he sent me a track called Naughty Naughty. <laughs> and if I just, this is all relevant. If I just read out some of the lyrics, uh, Naughty Naughty, oh, I like it that way. That dress you're wearing makes you look so cute. But girl, you'd look better in your birthday suit. See what they've done there. They've what rhymed. a ride. What I ride. know, I know. So that's, you know. That's hair rock. And the music, I'm sure you can imagine what the music was. Jing, 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 jing. Going to shout that out a bit with some nice harmonies and then we're going to have a pretty whiddly whiddly guitar solo at the end. Fantastic. I listened to that, Naughty Naughty by Danger Danger, and then I listened to Debaser and I think I then got it. If I'm a teenager, early 20s, in America in 1989, and I've been force-fed a diet of hair rock for the last two or three years, which I probably have because that's what was there and current, and someone gave me, you know, Doolittle starting with Debaser, I would go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Now I want to make music suddenly. Now I get it. This speaks to me. This is this is angry and intelligent and is rock. I mean, for me, 
it's angry and intelligent, it's rock and it's been done before. But if all you've listened to is Danger, Danger and um, arguably Poison, then I get why this is your Sex Pistols, never mind the Buscocks. This is why you've listened to it and gone off and formed a band and decided to do this this stuff. It, it, and, and I might be doing America a disservice because I'm sure lots of people will be saying, oh, of course in the 80s there was more than hair rock. But that's the only way I can make sense of this as this groundbreaking album. Yeah, if all you've had is hair rock and you listen to this, you're going to go and form Nirvana on the back of it. I get that. I've got a lot to say to that. But first of all, I just want to retort to those lyrics by uh, reciting, got hips like cinderella must be having a good shame talking sweet about nothing cookie i think you're tame that would be the pixies version of the song you described talking about i guess in this case a woman sure. in a in in a similar environment to uh to danger dangers encountered uh, their uh, yeah 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 their yeah. woman yeah I don't think it's fair to say there was no interesting music happening in, the, in America in the 80s, but uh, but yeah, we're finding it hard to name any. I think it's interesting you made the Velvet Underground comparison, and that's mm-hmm. actually something that ba- David Bowie said in an interview about the Pixies, mm-hmm. was that, yes, famously everyone that bought the Velvet Underground and Nico, which wasn't very many people, went off and formed a band. I think the Pixies are a little bit like that. The Pixies are actually, as is often the case of very interesting arty American rock, as I understand it, they were actually far more famous in Europe at first. And Doolittle was actually selling far more copies this millennium after the band reformed than than it ever did back in the day they're 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 the definition of a cult band um in the sense that now they have huge audiences now they make millions every year touring but i don't think they ever sort of made much cash at the time which is why they're back on the road and i actually think what what they did in the intermediate period is, is fascinating there's a great documentary about their them reforming and you see the kind of washed up careers ended up taking. Obviously, Kim Deal goes on to form the Breeders with her sister, which are actually a very respected band. But at this point, she's she's on her the beginning of her sober journey, so she's kind of like can't be around the others if they're if they have anything. The drummer the drummer has turned into a magician. He's doing uh he's doing magic tricks on his tour, and he actually he he's actually the support band for the Pixies on those early tours, doing his magic tricks, which not appearingly with that much aplomb. We encounter the guitarist Joe Santiago like backing like some nobody country singer and like doing like guitar lessons in a guitar world kind of like with like 12 people show up to like meet Joey Santiago kind of thing and then Black Francis I've always known as Charles Thompson the, the singer-songwriter and I, I want to say genius behind the, the, the Pixies but clearly that, that this is a band that's more the sum of its past because he's he released I don't know a dozen or more solo albums I, I can't tell you because I never bought many of them um, and for whatever reason even though I feel like a huge part of the Pixies genius is in his incredibly irreverent throwaway visceral imagery his his lyrics his his angular chords his attack um mm-hmm. but it all needed to be packaged both commercially and aesthetically and, and, and musically as well with 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 the the pixies and i will say that's one of the things that i do think is uniquely special about the band and why you can't compare them to the Velvet underground or the clash or any of those other albums they're simply different they sound different and i think what they sound like is a band a real band it's notable that Doolittle was mainly recorded live in the studio, which I guess was, I don't know how common a practice that was in 1989, but mm. each part is very, very, very prominent. Each musician, even though none of them are particularly virtuosic, um, really carved his own path. A bit like old Beatles records almost, or old Motown, where there's four distinct things happening and they're all quite basic, but completely and almost contradictory in some places, especially between the guitar work. I mean, Joey Santiago's guitar work mm-hmm. uh, is so jagged and, and, and primal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it plays often against, you know, Black Francis' very kind of simple strum guitars. Um, but it, it, it forms these huge layers of sound, which found, as you say, they sound very simple, but they're also deceptively 
it sounds like a lot more. It still sounds like a lot more is going on than it actually is, which is just four instruments. Uh, I think a great example is the beginning of La La Love You, which just starts with that drum break. Um, and you know, again, the drummer never a great virtuoso. And again, there was there's issues in this documentary of him speeding up, slowing down, stopping songs at the wrong wrong time. Mm. But like, they make every instrument count. And there's a couple of moments where that's really apparent on the record. La La Love You, Love you is one, which is almost an instrumental track in the way it's put together. Right? It's mm-hmm. um, yeah. It starts with that drum break, and then you've got the um, you know, the, 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 that kind of surfy guitar. This is the album where they really start to lean into the surfing for the first time, which wasn't present in their earlier work, which really was kind of proto-grunge. And it's just so so compelling. They're making they're doing so much with so little going on. And I think it's also that song's amazing because, again, it plays to their strips. So there's very few lyrics. Uh, it's just this kind of sure. simple textures. Uh, and uh, It's the kind of song that, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, I've sung it to my significant other. Millions of, of couples surely have, but, you know, under the surface is that, that that lyric that's going kind of first base, second base, third base, home run, really is getting laid, you know. Yeah. That's it. There's nothing There's nothing really simple or happy or... <laughs> so this is their commercial breakthrough and you're saying you like all the happy, fun pop songs and the, my point is all the happy, fun pop songs aren't really that happy and fun and they're... They've definitely got this alternative uh, uh, edge going on. Uh, uh, I'm like, not saying I like there goes my gun. That we no one knows really what it's about, but I feel like well, any they, reference they, to, they don't to know gun is they don't know what it's about because it's literally got uh, four lines. It's got you who there goes my gun. Look at me, friend is foe. That's that's all it says. Okay, but in the, in the context of you know this album and all the biblical imagery and confusing. Uh, uh, you know, moral moral confusion. We can say that kind of permeates his writing. You have to imagine either a he's referring to an actual instrument that can cause physical violence, mm-hmm. or perhaps something on his body that could also be used violently. That's the only way I can interpret it. Okay. Let's not forget this album. This album was going to be called Whore. Okay. Which I'm very glad it wasn't because I don't think it yeah. would have played out so well in the press. Sure. There's so much weird fucked up imagery on this album. I, I'm not someone that easily takes the lyrics, but I did realise listening back to this album how many lyrics of these lyrics I actually know and recite. And they're such they're so powerful but so ambiguous. And I think that's what really makes them great rock and roll lyrics. They could be Yeah. They're personal but universal at the same time. Yeah, and the way he delivers them with his kind of crazy, unhinged squawks and warbles and bellows and his voice is like a force of nature um and what he's saying is it's it's absurd and irreverent at the same time but it's so laden with imagery that you feel it must convey some deeper meaning and it always kind of paints (laughs) it's also very issue it paints all these these um images in the mind i mean again a great one is do you know the story behind wave of mutilation i know go on so supposedly this is a this is about an article he read about the wave of, uh, as in there was a trend of Japanese businessmen taking mm-hmm. their own life because there was an economic crash and they were just, they were taking humiliation, a ride, you know, on this raid of humiliation. Right. Um, and it, it, he's written this really beautiful pop song essentially about mass suicide. Yeah. Um, and I think the wave, it's hard not to imagine it's in, it's, it's a play on Husaka's wave, probably the most famous piece of Japanese art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think those are the kind of things where, it, I never knew that, but I always found the wave of mutilation sounding. It was just an image that was already so loaded and powerful, and knowing that it actually was has these legs to actually stand up on. Sure, um, sure, okay. And and I guess that's that's probably one of my issues with it because I, you, you know me, I, I'm a I am a sucker for a lyric, and and as yet they've not sort of osmosified into my brain uh, in clearly the same way they have for you, and I found them. I found them willfully, a little willfully kind of esoteric and obscure, which is... Um, exactly. Which which is funny for me because, you know, one of the artists we've talked about a little bit is Tori Amos, who is completely always accused of just using, you know, 
deeply weird and just funny lyrics that come into her head. And I, I, I engage with her lyrics completely, in, completely in the way mm. you just described, actually, which is I don't necessarily know exactly what you mean here, Tori, or in this case, the Pixies, but what you're saying resonates me and I'm making my own interpretation of it and it's working for me. To, yeah, to play to an analogy, I think mm. we, we'll probably lean on too much, yeah. but there's famously that... that uh, or rather famously I mean someone once said it and I've remembered it <laughs> but uh, you can make the the classic Neil Young versus Bob Dylan distinction sure. of ne- uh, Bob Bob sings about the outside world he he hypothesizes and prophesizes and casts you know views on political issues or certainly did in his heydays yeah. it's very observational whereas Neil and so many other songwriters just kind of write about what's in and actually Linda Cole would be in that former camp as well for sure. example and whereas the Jonies and the Neils would just kind of write about what's inside and sometimes that is quite um quite apparent quite straightforward quite literal but often it's just weird images that you then take on to mean something and I actually sure. think that that's what that's when rock and roll songwriting for me is at its most powerful when it when mm. it paints those own images and like I said I do think that Black Francis lyrics are incredibly visual it's no well it's no coincidence that he um Again, he's meant to be a massive David Lynch fan, like, and of course, plays to surrealism. So let's get back to Debaser. All right. Yeah, as I've said, I've, you know, uh, I may le- never listen to the whole album again, but Debaser is going on pretty much every, you know, mixtape. If I, you know, party every, mix, every hipster dad every playlist. Hipster dad play- I, yeah, I mean, it is sad. I'm of an age where, you know, I have barbecues with with my kids and other other families with kids, and I make the playlist, and that's going on there because a, it's good, and b, it's hipster, right? So that's going to work. Um, but what I, I, I have to say, no, no, I'm going to I'm going to play to yeah, that point yeah. definitely. So I would say I I I encountered the Pixies when I was in my mid to late mm-hmm. teens. I fell hard and I absorbed them. But I don't think I ever really appreciated the sheer power of the baser as the banger it is until I went to university. And it was it was just it was an indie club dance floor filling staple. Yes. And the minute it came on, you jumped out. And there were a few contemporary songs at that time that would have the same effect, like Last Night by the Strokes, mm-hmm. um, some of the early Libertines. But anyway, yeah, so I don't think I ever really appreciated the power of that song until I kind of saw it in action and, and felt myself trying to clumsily, you know, rush up to, to women listening to it and feeling like it was my song as well like I, I it was something so intensely personal that I was all now sharing a room full of strangers and sure. it, it felt amazing yeah. uh, and the funny part is I always thought the lyric was uh, shit you can lose it I think I was thinking, I think I was saying like can you lose it yeah, yeah, you yeah. can lose it shit shit and obviously it's all about um, I am in Shane Andalusia yeah yeah it's all about this famous you know surrealist film by Louis Brunel and Salvador Dali yeah from 1929, I think. So I've been—I was singing it wrong for probably ten years, or so, you know, yeah, at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always had slicing out eyeballs, and you always think, what kind of what kind of song says that? Yeah. I mean that. Yeah, you know, and in and in and of itself, you know, a, a piece of rock majesty in how long it is three minutes, which has got not just you but countless um, people from their late teens, early twenties, jumping up and down in in dark clubs about uh, a 1929 surrealist film. That that in itself is worth the price of admission, isn't it? That's just fantastic. Yeah. So if nothing else, I've changed your playlists forevermore. You have. It, yeah. So let's move. So Tame. I've listened to Tame a lot because for me it was the point I went, oh, this could be a classic album. Oh, golly, this isn't a classic album. This is, <laughs> this is just, this is to me, Tame and I Bleed are the two low points of the album because for me, basically... They're just not, I'm not going to sound like a really old git here, they're just not songs. There's just a bit of a nothing verse, and then the chorus is the title of the song, 
said or shouted tame or i bleed you know i bleed is like a slower tame i i i really really can't get into them and there's a point in i bleed about a minute in where <laughs> where the lyric is why are we here and then nobody knows and he sings nobody knows in a funny voice uh and it's like literally he's searching for some interest you know we we've both you know written songs and and you know that point where you're trying to write a song and you're like, oh, I think this is a bit dull. I'll just do it in a funny voice to see if it's more interesting. And that's what he does. I'm literally going, he goes, why are we here? Nobody knows. And I'm like, yeah, I really don't know. Because you've just decided to go, nobody knows for no apparent reason. We oh. go to sleep. <laughs> the, the, it's amazing. Other, other than to try and get some interest into what's, you know, and this is where I sound like an old git. No melody, no interesting lyric, no energy, no passion. I just find... Sorry, and I bring on the hates, but tame and I bleed. I just can't get, I can't get behind at all. I, I suppose my challenge is if you would, if you thought, if you would say, oh, the Pixies are great, okay, send me a really good song. You tame and I bleed. You would, you wouldn't send to anybody, and out of context, you anybody would just go, huh? What are you talking about? They're just kind of nothing songs. Well, maybe it's overexposure, but I've come to love those songs and I think they have a real edge vibe. And I feel like what you're describing is what kind of makes them great as well, that they are throwaway songs, but in a, that doesn't make them disposable. And it's very idiosyncratic. I think the delivery, as you, as you pointed out, like mm. that's not a bad thing. He's completely, he's un, he comes across like this unhinged, unconventional, he's not a front man, he's not a singer as you know him. He's he is someone like that uh, rowdy friend who's had too many drinks at the pub and just wants to get his message across. And I love that about it. He's he's not trying to be mm-hmm. normal. He's not trying to write nice poetry. And you've got to see them as band performances as well. And I think all of these these two songs especially really play to the... Okay. That idea of like grunge and that loud heavy thing. I think, it, I don't know, I, I feel like I've got a lot of time for them. Okay. And just, just to come back on the loud heavy thing. And I know because I, I read the David Barry quote as well about, oh, they were the first one. Oh, come on. It's 1989. People have been doing Loud Heavy for a long time. I mean, Buddy Holly did songs that were loud and then a bit uh, a bit quieter. He didn't have a fuzz pedal, though, I did know he? he didn't have a fuzz pedal, but it's not exactly new to go, we're going to do a quiet bit in the verse and a loud bit in the chorus. I mean, that that has been done quite a lot before. So I don't quite get the, the why they're... Okay, so where do you stand on Dead? Because I feel like this is a similar song with a different, with a you know, maybe that's the answer. Okay, my notes say exactly the same thing. There's there's tame says nothing verse. They just say scream, scream or sing a one word chorus. I bleed says it's a slower tame, (laughs) and then dead. Oh golly, it's another one. Bit of a filler verse, and then we say the title in the chorus. Whereas. I feel like the uh, the lyric Uriah hit the crapper has become <laughs> Oh well that's fair like enough. Like so so deeply entrenched in my and so many other people's minds, it's kind of almost like a cult okay. saying it yeah. What does it mean? But that's the whole point. It's it's wonderful. And again, someone like Tom York might do that, say something a little bit um mm-hmm. Not quite sensical and allow it to take its own meaning. In fact, he was a big Pixies fan. Everyone's a big Pixies fan apart from you. <laughs> Obviously, you know better than Tom York and David Bowie and PJ Harvey and everybody else. That's All of those them, people. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's move on to Here Comes Your Man. Well, there's probably a whole different podcast we could do on um, singles that are not representative of their album. <laughs> Um, and 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 I can imagine quite a lot of people probably bought um, Doolittle on the back of having heard this single and went, "Oh, that's not quite like it, is it?" It really stands out as just a, "Oh, well, let's do some pop now." Um, and I guess your response to that depends on 
You, you probably know my response to that because I like albums that are of a conceptual continuity that do have a complete feeling to them because I listen to an album depending on what sort of mood and feeling I'm in and I want sort of 50 to 60 minutes of that or 30 minutes of that. So to listen to an album that joints around for me is never as good. We've talked about this in the context and of, this, of Neil Young. At this, point, can I put, can at this point, can I point out you get exactly 38 minutes and 38 seconds, which I think is Fine. probably not a coincidence, but a complete stroke of genius. <laughs> Let's remember we're wrestling through 15 songs in that time. And I think that's the whole point. It's not, it's not, it hasn't been constructed as like a perfect, uh, you know, a one, a single mood. It's the high wire act of these little two minute big necks that are just jumping between moods. Often within the same song, which is what we're talking about, Dead, which again is almost a quasi instrumental because it's got the kind of loud bit. Mm-hmm. And then it breaks into that really big hearted chorus with the, the guitar is like playing this really beautiful, happy melody. And then it has this distorted bit. Mm-hmm. It's it's all over the place within the same song. It's it's clear, deliberate songwriting device to to have this tension between the light and the shade, the major and the minor, the beautiful and the ugly. The fact that the music can sound as different as you're suggesting and cover as many moods with really just four simple instruments most of the time. There's some overdub going on, but really mm-hmm. most of this can be replicated by bass guitar, two two guitars, bass drums. That's that's it. All of this is to its credit. I mean, I think it's incredibly economic use of quite limited means and I feel like that's why going from I believe to Here Comes Your Man to Dead to Monkey Gone to Heaven it's a trip in like eight minutes they've, they've, they're covered you know six different tonal bases it's 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 it's, it's a feat yeah fair, fair, fair enough to just just what you just said brings me back to that kind of sex pistols never mind the, but you know that that yes no one here is a virtuoso in the same way to be in a hair rock band you had to be you know a shredder uh, and and mm. singing wise, you had to have a you know a six octave range to, because it was all sung at a incredibly painful high pitch. Um, it, music not everyone could do that meant that meant emotionally nothing to anybody. Um, and this mm. yeah, and this is music anybody could do. I get that. Just just you know just like part you know this is not stuff, anybody. No, sorry, not anybody. But it's simple enough that you could you could start to think. Oh, okay, I can do this. Might put my own slant on it, whatever. But it but it isn't complex in the sense that each individual part if i'm a guitarist that's just learning you know i can knock out some of these things that's great i can see therefore why yeah it inspires less musically virtuoso people to go and make music which is which i get and, and is great and is where all the best music comes from yeah so, at the same yeah. time is genius itself sure in the way it all hangs together fine yeah no i get that okay so here comes your man yeah it's a pop tune it's a great pop tune it's not like a, well it's an all right pop tune i i have to say i've covered it in a in a couple of covers bands and it's one of those that um, when it first when you first start playing, people go oh, and then about halfway through, you find people kind of leave the dance floor with it. And I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying that should be the kind of meter of what a good pop tune is, but by because you're not playing the baser, mate. <laughs> that's probably what the problem is. That's what we'll do next time. But I, by the time you get to the stage where you're just going, here comes your man, da, 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 da. here comes your man, da, da. and that goes on quite a long time. People are looking for their pipe by that time. But it's a you know it's a tune that everyone knows and it's great and. Uh, it either fits in the album because what they're doing in that eight-minute passage is covering, you know, the, all of musical history, or or jars a bit, depending on your perspective. <laughs> in in Charles's defence, mm-hmm. uh, he never wanted to play it. Apparently, it's one of the first songs he wrote as an adolescent. Ah, and, uh, okay. The band had to record the instrumental part when he was at the studio, and the producer really wanted to include it. Um, so yeah. Um, anyway, so okay, uh, dead. Um, so we've had here comes okay, your man. Monkey gone to heaven. Yeah, monkey it's to heaven. a classic, of course. I mean, it is. To me, okay. So you, this, so the songs you knew before you heard this album were the bass. So here comes your man. No, 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 no. The songs it. I knew were here comes your man. That's, That's it. it. 
That's so, it. But how, how are you calling Monkey Gone to Heaven a classic if you've never heard it before? Uh, because now I've heard it, I, I get it's great. It engages with me. And What do you, um, what do you think it's about? Oh, I haven't got that far because I've only been listening to this album for two weeks. Tell me what it's about. So again, I, I would say this is lyrically one of the moments that just grabs yeah. you, right? You know, you you instantly want to know there was a guy, an underwater guy. It's like it's like this this crazy man next to you in the pub talking, mm-hmm. you're over here in conversation. Like he got killed by ten thousand pounds of slides. That sounds like a ridiculous made up headline. You're like, what is yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was told by a close friend when I first got into the Pixies that Monkey was meant to be junky and it was about just someone ODing, and I I kind of believed that for a long time. But actually, I mean, if you read a bit deeper and, and look at the second verse. There's a hole in the sky, which got sucked in the hole in the sky. You know, um, basically about the environment, and that also plays to the sludge, right? So basically, it's about how we're we're messing up the world. I think is the gist. Yep. So many lyrics on this album that are just incredibly difficult to forget. But I think if there's one line in this album, I do think it's a, if man is five, man is five, man is five, mm. and the devil is six, the devil is six, so then God is seven, God is seven. You can't, I mean, it's delivered with such aplomb and such conviction and such, uh, you yeah. know, I don't know, I can't really describe it. It's it's not like any music I've heard in my life before. The other lyric I love most on it is the most simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it plays back to what you were saying about the hair metal. Uh, Take it away, Joey! <laughs> And then he plays that, you know, pretty cool, but very kind of simple, like, bedroom guitar solo. It's like it's like playing up the fact that they're a band in a room, you know, you know, anything but Bon Jovi or Poison or Guns N' Roses or, you know, let's have this moment of faux virtuosity and kind of showmanship in a song that's kind of post-apocalyptic. This, this is a fucking bona fide classic. Yeah. Then we go straight into Mr. Grieve, another lyric you can't avoid. So I was expecting, because in my mind, we've gone A-side, B-side, A-side, B-side. I was expecting another dud. But do you know what? Mr. Grease and Crackly Jones, I really liked. I see them as a together kind of little duo. I see why they put them together. They reminded me, and I know you'll laugh at this, they reminded me of Green Day. Uh, You know, just like pop punk, fun upbeat although they're lyrically different to that but that you know i i i I just like them as a pair they'd go on my uh, my extended ep they'd go on of seven tracks my sort of more finer ep they wouldn't go on but basically you're more fine your greatest hits yeah yeah exactly um but but i didn't i didn't mind mr grease and crackety jones i thought okay yeah they're, they're 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 pretty good pop punk that's where i went with them uh, I, I feel like that what happened there is side A ended, which is what happened with Monkey Gone to Heaven. Sure. Great way to play out the side. And then we go straight into side two, which they've started again with two throwaway nuggets. Crackety Jones, yeah, shortest track on the album at 124. Mm-hmm. I think it's written about a crazy room name. I kind of love him using Spanish. He uses more Spanish on the first album. I think Mr. Greaves is, I, I love it. It starts that, that, you know, that offbeat, that almost reggae kind of yep. thing. And yep. hope everything is all right. Another one of those lyrical moments where he's just saying something completely mundane but with such I don't want to say profundity but such gravity such placing it in such an incongruous context and, and that it that it means so much it's 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 a bit like the Uriah Hitler Crapper it's there's so many lyrics that just jump out at you and you can take them and run with them and think it means what you want you can. to and, and then it ends with another refrain that I just I can't you know, do you have another opinion? About what? I mean he's demanding. He's, he's basically this is the way it is. This is uh, this is this Mr. Greaves is, is is a biblical figure. It's another biblical song. There are three or four very obviously biblical songs in this album. Right. I'm not a man of the book. I don't really haven't really researched all those references. 
But uh, I mean, I think that's kind of what religion's saying to us, isn't it? Like, um, well, this is how it is. Do you have another opinion? Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's being asked in a way that you 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 definitely you definitely have no license to have another yes, opinion. To which the answer must be no, or you, all bad things will happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Mr. Grease, Crowley Jones, uh, d- yep, bang. Uh, I, bang, Bing, Bang, Bish, lovely. We've talked about La La Love You. I think yeah. it's a moment of genius. It's that surf chill. It t- it's a moment of respite after those two completely crazy. It's a cleanser. And it's incredibly cute. And then you think it's kind of like a cheesy love song with the whistling or playing to the surfing. But then you've got the kind of potential references to, I don't know, I'm imagining date rape or whatever with the, with what's going on here. Okay. First base, second base. It's like, what's, you know, he's someone's out for what, everything they can get from the encounter, that's for sure. Um, it yeah. didn't It didn't grab me. Got halfway through it and thought, oh, it's not engaging me in any way, shape, form. I, 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 I'm going to fast forward this. And the same thing happened with number 13, Baby. See, number 13, I think the best bit is the outro. And this is when you can really hear that there are a band in the room jamming. It kind of just goes on for an extra, I don't know, 30, 40, mm-hmm. 50 seconds at the end. Yeah. There's, there's not much There's not much dead space in this album because all the songs rattled by with so many lyrics uh, or lack of lyrics. But there's always something happening. And this is the one time they allow it to kind of trudge on this and allow like a groove to play out. It feels like the album's taking a kind of slightly more slow down moment it kind of following from la la love you I, I like this kind of feeling and then then coming over there goes my gun again it, i feel like things are deliberately winding down to a certain extent um, yeah, yeah and then we you know then we reach what surely is the emotional peak an actual yeah undisputed it, if they'd left masterpiece st- of the album if they'd left straight to hay from crackety jones and and it would have been a shorter album then i think it would have been a better album for me without those three la la love you number 13 there goes McGonagall. i could cheerfully have done without but hey yeah you know that's that's on the shorter classic ep for me it's again it's got that conversational guy in the table next to you vibe like hey trying to meet you what you feel like you feel like you're overhearing a conversation between two people and i and i really love that feeling and it, and again it's very oblique you don't really know what's happening but it's clearly it, it, the words are taking on this kind of renewed significance this sense of gravity uh and then it kind of climaxes that that lyric you kind of almost missed that the mother makes when the baby breaks yeah but the mother makes when the baby breaks you're like what's going on here um something all is not well not well. I mean, I love, I love the uh, said the man to the lady, and the uh, said the lady to the man. She I mean, that, it, yeah. So, it's like, yeah. I, it's like, are you listening to a fight yeah. next door between a couple? Maybe are you got your you got your ear to the to the door, or, the or are you saying this is ultimately no matter how much in love you are with someone, that's ultimately all it gets to is you just go uh, and they go uh, all night. I they shag, but it doesn't mean anything, and it's just uh, and Mary, yeah. uh, Mary, ain't you tired of this? Uh, it's desolate, pretty. And that, just the opening, hey, yeah. been trying to meet you, yeah, but yeah. suggest they're already meeting. It's almost like you're trying to connect, trying yeah. to have some kind of empathy, some kind of human moment. Um, but it, it all rests on the, these again, kind of oblique, weird lyrics, but it only works because the music's so powerful. And again, mm-hmm. this was recorded live in the studios, apparently, I think not in many takes. Okay. And then you've got the combination of the two different vocal lines and Jerry Santiago's guitar, just getting the chords going round and round. It's, it's just heartbreaking, is it? You've got, mm-hmm. hey, chained heard you know kim deals like yeah, kind yeah. Of completely cold delivery complete disengagement with a hey and then the guitar just bending that one d note over and over again it's like the saddest d note that was ever played i feel like it's up there where is my mind as they're kind of like you know their most somber powerful mature musical statement I think better because I think it's the one song maybe debased as well where I, I, you're right that thing about this couldn't be anybody else mm. or this is the unique sum of their of their parts 
um, I really, I really got. I, I, I'm glad I've heard the song. I'll play it again, mm. and it's definitely the Pixies in every single way, shape, form. I can't imagine another group of people creating it, and it's a piece of art that that you could read lots of things into and enjoy. It deserves its classic status. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I guess we we cut. We have to just touch on the closer then. Gouge away a song which. Hang on a minute. There's silver first. <laughs> which I didn't. Know, I, which you really want to go you know there? What? My notes say. The least popular track on Spotify. And I can see why. It's just a dirge. I mean, it's this haunting acoustic moment of chill. You kind of feel like the album's going to end after Hey. And then I always find, I feel a bit like Silver is the credits or the music that's playing where you're waiting for the band to come back on stage. And then Uh, Gouge Away is the encore. Okay, because Gouge Away, it's a great album closer. Musically, lyrically... Yeah. Um, it, it sort of says, okay, we're now closing. We're bringing things. It's almost like a, um, epilogue. Epilogue. It's like an epilogue. Yeah. Thank you. We'll, we'll, so I think silver is silver is the curtains coming down or the credits rolling or the, or the pages, the empty pages that you need to cleanse before you then welcome that, well, that epilogue that's going to come in and blow sure. you away one more time. Just when you thought this album couldn't get any better, that it had everything it had to say had been said. They come in with what again is one of the you know one of the five strongest songs on the record probably so, Gouge so, Away. I mean, so, so what I've written if Gouge Away, if the album had been what everybody thinks it was, this would be a great closer. And it, and it isn't. Well, I don't. You know, I, I I'm still struggling with the what I see as good tracks and bad or more boring tracks. And so, but I but I get that it nicely ends the album. And had it been an absolute barnstorming brilliant album for me, I would have gone. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, as it is, you wouldn't because it's an album closer. It's almost like would you would you play it on its own? Is it, does it stand up on its own? Which is interesting. It doesn't make it a bad song. It's just it almost it almost doesn't work without the rest of the album coming before it. I don't think that matters. I like, feel like an epilogue. It, it could be an opener. I think it's just a great song. I love the staccato bit at the end of that. It just really builds and builds again. That incredible vocal performance. What it probably really is about is addiction, because there's there's always these references to spoons and bad arms. This whole idea that you stay all day if you want to, making it very clear it's kind of your decision to kind of choose to live that lifestyle, which is maybe not the most enlightened view. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's basically painting this picture of a place that sounds a little bit inviting, but then kind of showing that it isn't really in the chorus. And just musically, I love the way it builds to that big chorus, this sacred whatever, and the duh-duh-duh, the zaccato bit at the end of it, at the end of the line. It's just it's just a really, really powerful piece of music. You know, I was just thinking the other reason it works as an album closer. Yeah, I get your drug reference. It's also that, it, you know, gouge away kind of reference to the rest of the album, which does take you to some interesting extreme places, you know, slash your eyes, da 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 all of that. It's like, well, you can you can listen to you can you can gouge away at these things. You can go to these dark places in your mind, or you cannot. It's kind of your choice. But we just have done for an album. That's what we've been doing. We've been gouging yeah. away. Yeah, fair. I mean some deep some deep cuts you could say. Indeed. Indeed. Haha, <laughs> very good. Um so the overall feeling is I'm really proud, if a little bit surprised and disappointed that it had to be me at this point in your life. I'm really pr- proud to do it all by the Pixies. Uh a masterpiece. Uh the best album of the nineties that came only it came out in 1989, therefore it's the best guitar album of the 80s. Is your life richer, happier, and more well-rounded having Doolittle in your life? Maybe. Uh, it, it's filled in a jigsaw of musical history for me, which is good. I'm glad to have heard it, and I like some of the tracks. I probably won't play the whole thing in complete again. Um, 
But if you don't, you won't learn to love the other bits. That's what experience has taught me. Ah, okay. Okay. And I feel like well, this, album, see, this album is best enjoyed when you take the rough with the smooth, when you take the sweet yeah, with the yeah, sour. Yeah. And that's why those jagged sour bits hit so hard, yep. because they come between such sugar-coated little nuggets Gems. you get to enjoy. Yes. And, and, and I, 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 feel, I feel like that inattention, that high wire act they're walking, is really what makes this album so wonderful. Sure. Sure. So, Dave, I've got to ask, despite your conflicting opinions about the album, if you had to listen to Doolittle anywhere, anytime, place, where would it be? It would probably be, it's early morning, right? It's, it's, it's early hours. It's like 4am at least. Uh, it's got, it's got to be. It's dark and I'm tired and I've been up all night and I'm probably, uh, I've drunk myself sober and I'm feeling jarred and fractured at the end of a party where someone in the corner is, um, stubbing their cigarette out in a beer can and I'm needing to go home but I don't want to so I've put the pixies on instead to delay the inevitable moment where I have to go out into the cold light of day and face the world again. That's a wonderful answer. <laughs> um, so Rob, um, where did you discover this album and what were you doing at the time? I mean I wish I heard it at a cool hipster house party uh four in the morning but it's far more mundane i think i just read about it in magazines and uh i went out and i bought it <laughs> Ta-da! and there was a single summer where i bought this and i bought all the pixies albums in a single summer mm-hmm. and i consumed them but i the memory i have it i was on a canal trip with all with everyone from high school wow it was around the time we met i was about 16 yeah. and this album especially was like a solace there was something i found in it that was so i think it was that mix of like sheer pop oblivion with this darker undertone Mm -hmm. of angst that really spoke to me Mm -hmm. uh so coming out of like going through grunge and then the singer songwriter era this kind of like combined the two you know I, i was past listening to nirvana and green day i'd been listening to you know neil young and bob dylan and Joni mitchell and finding nick drake and finding solace in this serious music mm. but this was somehow had some severity to it but also brought back the bite yeah. of the guitar music i'd heard earlier in life and somehow it all came together for me sure and i've never really stopped listening to the pixies but i, I feel like my affection for them has only grown over time and i saw them at a festival in atlanta in the u.s in 2015 and that really you know building up to that moment was was it was it was a big one for me and i, I feel like it's a band that is going to stay with me for the rest of my life Cool. Um, So that was us talking about Doolittle by the Pixies, an album I should know. And do now. And I do now know. And and I'm glad I do. And I will do more work on it. Well, I'm glad you took something from that experience, Dave. What are you going to subject me to over the the course of the next week? I am going to send you another bona fide 80s classic uh and that is disintegration by the cure which i can see by your little face you're so happy about thanks for listening everybody see you next time